Welcome to the Everything Coworking Podcast, where you learn what you need to know about how the world wants to work. And now your host, co-working space owner and trend expert, Jamie Russo. Welcome to the Everything Coworking Podcast. This is your host, Jamie Russo. So we are talking today about small town coworking. I think today, more than ever, smaller towns and even rural areas want to support local entrepreneurs, business owners, and even remote workers who are now free to roam the country with workspace amenities and uh, even the community they need to be productive and stay connected. But... We know it is hard to find a sustainable business model for smaller co-working spaces. So my guest today is Brian Watson. He is the co-founder of Altspace, and he is working on a model that is evolving over time that works to solve this problem of how do we support all the folks in more remote areas that want also want access to a great place to work but to make the business model work. So Brian is going to share his perspective today. Brian, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me on. So Brian reached out and said, let's you know, do a catch up. And he caught me up in our pre-chat last week on what he's up to. And I said, we definitely need to share this because we have a lot of listeners who want to solve this problem. So mm-hmm. Brian, can you, let's just kind of start with, you know, a little bit about your story, your background and sort of the, like, how did this, what was the moment when you're like, I I see what, you know, you had the vision for, for making this work and tell us where are you uh, dialing in from today? Dialing in. Cool. So uh, yeah. (laughs) Hopefully you're not dialing in. (laughs) (laughs) So we're calling in from Telluride, Colorado, um, which is a uh, mountain town uh, in the southwest uh, portion of Colorado. Um, a little bit of my background, you know, we got to to talk a little bit last week, and it was a fire hose conversation. I feel like, but um, totally, I think this <laughs> we'll slow you know, it down today. <laughs> it's been a fire hose uh, uh, experience over the last couple of years. You know, I think as we've seen so much of the industry change and so many of the consumer behavior shifts that we've seen take place, and so. Um, I grew up in Grand Junction, uh, which is on the western slope of Colorado, um, and I've always had a huge passion for entrepreneurship. You know, I believe that entrepreneurs are the greatest tool we have in society to solve some of these big challenges, and we should do whatever we can to support them. And so, um, you know, I helped some buddies build businesses and ended up moving back to Grand Junction. And when I moved back, uh, the question was, was there anyone else like us? So... Um, we didn't know. And so we, we actually started an organization, uh, my friend Josh Hudnall and myself, uh, called Launch West Co., which was all about kind of building the ecosystem and trying to gather uh, like-minded entrepreneurs. Um, in Western Colorado, we did tons of events, tons of programming. Uh, over two years, we found 1,500 entrepreneurs that no one knew existed. And so um, the question after that was, Sorry, I thought it was on uh, uh, Do Not Disturb. I am now. So um, okay. anyway, so the uh, we found 1,500 entrepreneurs, and we said, what the heck are we going to do with all these people? And so that's when we actually we found started them. Now what? <laughs> the, the first yeah. co-working space in Grand Junction. And, okay. you know, I think through that experience, you know, um, we've seen that co-working spaces have the ability to kind of um, – transform communities and have a transformative impact on communities and especially in rural communities. Um, You know, Accelerate, I was one of the co-founders of Proximity and so helped kind of grow the company over the last uh, several years. I recently transitioned out in the end of last year, which we can get into a little. I have started co-working spaces. Um, and, And so anyways, huge passion for rural uh, entrepreneurship. And um, I think that co-working spaces play a vital part of um, transforming that. And I think that, you know, right now we've seen this huge shift as you had talked about to remote work and we're seeing, you know, 
just so many people relocating to um, kind of these rural areas within the state of Colorado. And I know you're seeing that all across the country, um, which is really cool. You know, there's a lot of conversations in the economic development world of like, how do we diversify these economies? How do we bring in these new jobs? And, you know, uh, people did not think the answer was COVID, but, uh, you know, we're seeing that happen organically, right? And I think one of the advantages of living in in smaller rural communities is, you know, access to the outdoors is right at your fingertips and, you know, right outside. And, and so lots of people are choosing to live in communities like this or move back to the towns that they grew up in and they're bringing their big city jobs, which is really cool. And so the next question um, is how do we build co-working spaces in rural communities in a way that is sustainable? Because I think that that's another big challenge that I've seen over and over and over again, Um, not only in the spaces that we've run and operated, but you know, in with my experience with proximity and getting to work with so many of these communities across the nation, that's always the big question, right? Is like, how do we run these things? The scale is not on the same, you know, in the same universe as like a WeWork or something like that, where you've got small space, of but huge of heart piece. and huge passion, right? Yeah, it's a, totally, yeah, it's it's almost like flipped. So, real quick, before we go any further, how do you, how big was Grand Junction? How do you define rural? Like, what, what's that's a good question. Because, <clears throat> Brian, I grew up um, in a town. I would have to look at the population. There were no stoplights and more mm-hmm. cows than people. I cannot help. Every time somebody says rural, that's all I can picture. And I keep I always think I don't even imagine there's not even like a grocery store. There's like yeah. a, in, in the town where I grew up, there's like a combo like feed store, grocery mart, like yep. something else. <laughs> Yep. So that's what I picture when you say rural. So I feel like it's, we should like, love, you know, <laughs> it's a good question yeah. and um, is worth kind of defining scope. Right. And so Grand Junction is the biggest city um, on the Western slope. It's about 60,000. Um, okay. It's 150,000. If you include kind of the adjacent towns, which is Fruta and Palisade, uh, which make up the Grand Valley. Um and then, but we also have spaces in Montrose, uh, Ridgeway, and Telluride. You know, so Telluride's like twenty five hundred people. So really um, changes a lot. My my wife runs a accelerator up here in Telluride, and um, you know the the language that she uses is rural and frontier communities, which is even smaller than rural. And so, yeah, I think wow, maybe that's what you're thinking about is. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the one stop by town or, you know, places that are, are really small. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So six, so 60,000 and under, like, is that a. Yeah. And like Montrose is, is, you know, smaller than, and, you know, Ridgeway is, uh, I'd have to get, you know, is in that like a couple thousand people that live there. Yeah. Um, same with Telluride. Okay, really small. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Truckee, which is the mountain town near us, is I think north side of the lake is like 10,000. Mm-hmm. South side might be 30. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. Okay, great. So now we can sort of picture. So how big, how many square feet was the space um, in Grand Junction? So the space in Junction is uh, about uh, five you know, it depends on the, the areas that you're talking about. There was a big event center, but like 2,500, okay. um, 5,000, yep. if you include some of the event other space. portions okay. of the building and stuff. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, Montrose is 6,000. Um, oh, wow. I think Ridgeway is uh, between two and three and our space in Telluride okay. is 1,800. Okay, there we go. Yeah, so the range of kind of six and under again. Okay, yeah. perfect. I think that helps people kind of see. Okay, so you like very kind of eloquently talked to me through, yeah, the problems, the challenges with smaller spaces. Like you have mm-hmm. big goals in terms of what you want to solve. And the economic, I mean, this whole conversation is so interesting right now because so many of these towns are trying to figure out housing Right. Like all the things, integrating people who didn't weren't here before and now they are and, you know, mixing with the locals and um, 
And, and I mean, I'll let you color it in. The fundamental challenge with a small space is that the economics just don't really work. Like it's a, if you're renting the space, which you'll have to tell us if all of your spaces are leased, mm-hmm. then it's just a like a, a rental arbitrage model and you need some more scale. Usually yeah. when I run a pro forma, like if you don't own the building, you can't pay a community manager is like yeah. one big issue. Challenge. Sort of under... 4,000. I mean, it depends on a lot of things. What's your rent, you know, all the things. So maybe in these markets, rent is cheaper, although I suspect that problem is starting to maybe flip too. And (laughs) yes, there's no real estate in those markets because the people who, you know, got in and and took it. And so now rents are probably going up. So yeah, hard to sort of profit, pay someone to staff it. And then, you know, you talked about I'd love you to dive into like when folks get grants to run spaces like this yeah. and that runs out, then there's not really an underlying business model that can move forward. So yeah, talk a little bit more about like the challenges and then how you're going after addressing it. Numbers. Yeah. So again, I think, you know, one of the things that we say a lot of times is that co-working spaces, especially in rural communities, are kind of required infrastructure for uh, communities that are wanting to attract and retain uh, professionals working in the digital economy, right? And so they're really important resources. I think a lot of um, conversations that you hear around rural communities also is like broadband and connectivity. You know, the economics are, yeah. are challenging in those towns as well. And so because there's not density like you have in a city, right? And so yeah. it's really cost prohibitive to have fiber run to every home when there's, you know, acres or miles in between homes sometimes. And so uh, My parents got dial-up like five years ago, or broadband. Like, yep. I can remember them somewhat. Rec- yep. My mom would like chase the internet guy and like plead with him to run the lines. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> and like, you know, it. The, so you know, as all co-working operators know, fast, reliable internet is so important, and. Um, is like the most important asset of your uh, co-working space, right? And so in a lot of these um, towns, if there's not that infrastructure built in place, then, you know, co-working spaces become either the gas station or the Tesla charging station for uh, folks that are working um, uh, remotely in these areas. And so, you know, I was, I was talking with a, a guy who has a, a Techstars company and he was like, we're remote, but remote is about flexibility and about lifestyle. When I'm working, if I'm pitching to investors or if I'm talking to our board, I can't be looking like a doofus because I'm remote, right? I need somewhere that's reliable I that's that I can go to. Point. Right. And, right. and that's what's important. Wherever you want. But if you're trying to get business done and do deals, you're going to better work. It's yeah. got to work, right? And so... Yeah. The, the flexibility is important, but you need that uh, security and the ability to have a reliable place to work um, wherever you're at. And so uh, I think that a lot of that has has shifted to like as more people are going remote, you know, there's the 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 utility of these co-working spaces are are more important than ever, especially in a lot of these small and rural communities. So um, to go back to, to circle back around to the uh, original question, I think we're, we're talking a lot about sustainability, right? And so uh, sustainability has a lot to do with the scale of these companies and co-working spaces are so dynamic, which is one of the beautiful things about them. But, you know, they're community centers, they're places where people can get work done, you know, uh, pre-COVID, they were a place where lots of entrepreneurial events and pitch competitions took place and stuff like that. And so um, your community managers had a lot of different roles. Um, and and so the question is like, how do you do all the things with such a small space? And so what we saw is, you know, um, especially in rural communities, I think co-working spaces Um, are owned or operated by kind of two personas. One is real estate developer who, you know, likes the idea of having a co-working space. And so they, they incorporate it into a larger project. They have the scale, they have the scope. Um, 
The, the other one is um, in rural communities that we see a lot is economic development entities, whether that's a chamber, a government entity, an incubator, whatever. And so I think one of the challenges that we've seen there is, you know, a lot of uh, economic development entities may have a building that already has fiber hooked up, right? How it works a lot of times. And so it's like, cool, we can get a grant and convert this building that's not being occupied that much into a co-working space. Um, one of the challenges that I've seen take place there is that, you know, economic developers wear a lot of hats and um, have a lot of roles. And so, you know, when when you convert a building into a co-working space and stuff like that, again, co-working spaces are dynamic. They're supposed to be mm -hmm. a place where there's events, community building, management of the space, management of the people. And so that's another hat that they take on in addition to their existing role, which comes back to the whole sustainability thing, whether it's financial sustainability or time management sustainability, if that makes sense. Um, and so this is, this is just, this is a big challenge, you know, uh, running rural co-working spaces is hard work. Um, but it's, but it's important work. And we've seen, um, we've, we've seen the benefits of communities that invest in kind of co-working and the entrepreneurial community that it attracts. Right. And so, um, the question is, how do you do this sustainably? Um, because, what happens a lot of times in rural communities is you get this like cyclical nature where we kind of talked about that, where it's like when we moved back and started launch Westco to kind of help boost the entrepreneurial ecosystem in our town, we were in college, you know? So it was like volunteer, a lot of yeah. volunteer time and energy and work. And we built a lot of critical mass, but then we started companies and weren't able to focus on that stuff as much. And so then you go back and like, a lot of that momentum has yeah. dwindled over the years or whatever, or you get a grant, which you may not get the next grant cycle. And so then does it stay there, you know? And I think what's, what's really important to build entrepreneurial ecosystems, there's a really good book called um, startup communities by Brad Feld. And he talks about uh, building entrepreneurial ecosystems is a 20 year commitment in that you have to commit, 20 years every single day you never get closer but it really needs to be this long-term um consistent commitment to doing the work and building something if if you don't have those 20 years committed you get uh the cyclical cycles that we're, we're trying to break and so that's a big challenging uh problem that's always uh eaten at me i guess and and um, you know, I've gone to conferences with people all over the nation and I always think like, okay, someone's going to have this like magic bullet solution and everyone's always dealing with the same problem is like the, the sustain, the sustainability. Um, really the goal with alt space is to try to build a model that, um, creates sustainability for running and operating these spaces that can lay a foundation of sustainable revenue um, so that we can hire and put people in long-term solutions to do long-term work. Once the co-working spaces are running and, and we we're able to kind of scale up our operations, and we'll talk about how we're doing that, we can hire people to do regional programming long-term and we, we've built a sustainable model. And so that's what we're working on. Cool. So, um, wait, I have a, a Guy Raz question for you. Did you have entrepreneurs in your family? You're like an entrepreneur problem solver guy. Or is that um, my, so I guess kind of two things. My grandpa was a, a business guy and um, we would, my, um, we would always go to Chicago and I always loved the, the, kind of business lifestyle. They lived in like a high, high rise tower, uh, right across the street from Lincoln park. And, um, okay. you know, so I was always really interested in that. He had built companies and, and done a lot of that stuff. And then my dad was a pastor and so is a pastor. And so, um, growing up in the church, we did, you know, 
have done community building forever yeah, since I was a child. Um, yeah. And so much, you know, there, we were throwing events, we were doing concerts, we were doing like all of community building work. Um, and so, and I would help out with like the youth group and doing all these things. And so um, there, there was a lot of, of, of transfer, I guess. Yeah. That's yeah. A little bit of both solving yeah. business problems, sometimes through community. Yeah. Um, okay. So yeah. So talk about the model and how you're sure. approaching this and it's a work in progress, right? Like you yep. mentioned, well, we're trying this and we're still trying yep. to solve this, but totally. And, and talk about the, you know, the bigger vision and kind of where you are now. Cause you have five, how many, five locations, the five locations. Yeah. Yeah. And so you know, this really came out of COVID, um, you know, there, so to give a backstory, my, my wife got a job up in Telluride. She runs the Telluride Venture Network, which is a small business support organization. They have, they do a lot of different things. Um, I was remote. Uh, we started working out of a co-working space in Telluride, um, that closed at the beginning of COVID. Uh, we're in a mountain town. And so everyone's got, you know, tiny little condos that we're living out of and, and doing the work from home shared at the kitchen table when the kitchen table is also in our kitchen living room. Like, you know, we didn't have any space. And so it was challenging uh, the, the first few months of COVID. Um, we found uh, there was a real estate company that had three locations in town and they didn't need that. And so it was really set up to be turnkey, um, a turnkey, you know, co-working space. And so we talked to the landlords and did a, a rev share with them, a management agreement, which I know there's been a lot of innovation on uh, management agreements through COVID and stuff. And I think it's been really good. It, it allowed us to go in and kind of de-risk the whole situation, which we would not have been able to do um, otherwise. And so, you know, I had a full-time job. My wife, Bonnie has a full-time job. And so we wanted the co-working space to get out of the house and it displaced everyone else in the co-working space that we were working out of. And yeah. so, um, but the, the goal had to be kind of automation from the start because we were working full time. Hey, I just wanted to jump in really quickly before we continue with our discussion. If you're working on opening a co-working space, I want to invite you to join me for my free masterclass three behind the scenes secrets to opening a co-working space. If you're working on opening a co-working space, I want to share the three decisions that I've seen successful operators make when they're creating their co-working business. The masterclass is totally free. It's about an hour and includes some Q&A. If you'd like to join me, you can register at everythingcoworking.com forward slash masterclass. If you already have a co-working space, I want to make sure you know about Community Manager University. Community Manager University is a training and development platform for community managers, and it can be for owner-operators. It has content training, resources, templates from day one to general manager. The platform includes many courses that cover the major buckets of the community manager role from community management, operations, sales and marketing, finance, and leadership. The content is laid out in a graduated learning path, so the community manager can identify what content is most relevant to them, depending on their experience, and kind of jump in from there. We provide a live brand new training every single month for the community manager group. We also host a live Q&A call every single month so that the community managers can work through any challenges that they're having or opportunities, um, get ideas from other community managers, build their own peer network. We also have a private Slack group for the group. So if you're interested in learning more, you can go to everythingcoworking.com forward slash community manager. Well, and I think that that's a great point is because smaller spaces, they don't, there's a lot of like whys to do them, right? People get mm -hmm. passionate and, and they need to be a part of the communities. But if they can't kick off a lot of profit, then the people who run them, to your point, have other roles, be it economic yep. development, or they have the job that pays the rent or the yep. mortgage. Yep. Like that's the reality, right? Yep. And so probably whoever was running, you know, the the one before it closed was like, well, we got other stuff we're dealing with here. Yep. We can't keep doing this and not really probably making money. 
Yeah, so totally. We can't do it. So anymore. sustainability yeah. or like the opportunity costs of yeah. doing the thing that you're passionate about versus doing the thing that pays the bills, you know, you, right. something's going to give a lot. And so anyway, so we opened the co-working space with kind of the goal of, can we build this thing automated as possible? It was the question. And it was a great test space. It's the space that I'm in today. It's 1800 square feet. Um, you know, and so uh, w- one of my, the hunches, I guess, that we started or the hypotheses is that consumer behavior had changed during COVID. You know, the, the QR code got its comeback. You know, everyone's um, uh, used to doing more like self-service through COVID and stuff like that. And so we thought that there was maybe potential um, to implement more processes that allowed people to kind of sign up themselves. We could implement like triggered emails that walk them through how to do that and how to get into the spaces and stuff. And so that's how we started. Um, a few months after that, I, uh, spoke with, um, with the prox team about the locations that they had, cause we started as, as co-working spaces and then built software for managing them. Um, you know, during the evolution of the company, really a lot of the focus has been on building a software company. Um, and so, you know, we saw that a lot of the spaces kind of really slowed down during COVID as you saw all across the country. And so it was like, cool, we have this one location. We're interested in this model in order to make this thing sustainable, we need to scale it up. And so what if we took the spaces off the hands of the software company, which created a clear line of delineation, which was nice. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so, um, so we spent last year kind of rebranding all the locations and tying them together. Um, one of the things that we've seen in rural areas is that a lot of people have regional jobs or whatever or travel a lot. And so mm. being able to seamlessly access all of the different locations, we do our grocery shopping in Montrose because uh, it's so expensive to do grocery shopping up here. So we drive down, right. we work for the day, get our groceries, head back to Junction or, or head back to Telluride or whatever. And so it creates this really fluid, dynamic way of working, um, which I think is really valuable. And so, yeah, so over the last year, uh, we've gone from one to five locations. Um, we're running all of them um, automated, uh, which has done a couple different things. Um, I think choosing the automation strategy has um, allowed us to develop systems we may not have developed before or test things that we may not have tested before. But I think ultimately ended up being a lot better, right? And I think the the trade-offs were a lot better. And now, you know, as we're as we're scaling that up, we're building something that we do have the square footage uh capable of building something that's more sustainable, if that makes sense. Um it, you know, just to kind of talk about the the strategy or testing things, you know, when we first started, you know, there was more than one uh, frustrated conversations of people not being able to get into the space easily or whatever. Um, but after those kind of uh, conversations and iterating the communication and the emails that we're sending, we've had over 250 drop-ins in the last year um, that has successfully got in, uh, that are using the space, that give good feedback. You know, I'm so happy this resource was here. I'm visiting my family. I didn't have a place to work or whatever. I'm really glad so this is here. These are non-members. These are not people yeah. who like have sort of stumbled through the tech process and forgive you because they're members. They're like coming in right as sort of cold consumers. Yep. Yeah. Which is often it, the most yeah. challenging membership type to onboard. Is oh, totally. When I have whatever. those conversations, sometimes with small spaces that don't do the drop-ins because yeah. it's so high maintenance and how do you handle it? Right. If you're because oftentimes the owner will say, well, I can't be there all day, right? So yep. what if the drop-in comes when you're not there? I would love for you also to talk about, I was thinking about this after our conversation. There's like a lot of sort of framing around um, what makes a co-working space and like the community piece of it. Mm-hmm. People expect there's a staff person. And so this idea of having like automated there's no community yeah. manager. 
which makes it more sustainable. But did you have to sort of talk yourself into like, that's okay. It's like, like, so talk, yeah, talk about kind of the bigger picture, because I think I talk to people who want to do this. And I start with saying, you should probably figure out, but loosely, because I'm not sure I would have believed it myself after like, I think to your point, there's a lot of like, conversations about how do you solve this problem, but no one has really taken a stand. There may be others in, yeah. I've heard of models here and there. Frankly, I think people sort of dismiss that idea that like we could have a space and it's not going to be staffed. So totally. yeah, t- t- yeah, tell me more about how you are getting over that and helping members shift their expectations. So again, I think you need to be clear on like, what to expect and expectations and, and co-working spaces need to be clear on expectations anyways. Right. Like, are you doing the dishes or am I doing the dishes? Like totally. There's so many. Am I picking up your coffee mug or are you picking up the coffee mug? Yep. So do I, I mean, that's all on a scale, a sliding scale. Right. And anyway, and so, um, you know, I think being clear about here's who we are, here's what to expect. And in order for this to work, this is what we need you to do as well. Um, So I think that that is an important thing to be able to communicate. Um, You know, the, although we don't have full-time space managers, we do have ambassadors at um, each one of our locations, um, which is great for, um, uh, it's great to have that presence in the space, right? And our ambassadors are selected because, um, they have a vision of the, the purpose of the co-working spaces as well and and want to engage the community. They want to connect with the people that are moving into town and, and get them plugged in and stuff like that. And so um, we're aligned philosophically with our ambassadors. Um, it's, it's not someone just there to get someone online because we've solved for that already. Uh, we talked uh, the other day about kind of the three roles of a space manager, which is um, cleaning uh, is one third of the job. Uh, the other third is, you know, events and, you know, getting people signed on. And then the last is really the community development effort. We've tried to eliminate the the two, um, the cleaning portion and the, um, the onboarding portion and really just allow them to focus on the, the funnest part of the job, which is community building and, and, and getting to meet friends. Um, and so that's one of the ways that we've kind of helped, um, bring people in and and get them plugged in. The job description for that ambassador role is then laser clear, right? Because this is the hard part about hiring community managers is those three roles and they're, you know, can, it's like, are they good at marketing? Are they good at, you know, Acquire, you know, bringing in members or are they also, do they also have a little OCD and they notice when the conference room needs to be clean? It's like, no, nobody is great at all those things. And mm-hmm. so you just like, there's so many hats. To, I yeah. just need you to do one thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, and again, it's like when you start a business with a hypothesis, which is like, I think we can do this. We've got to be laser focused on nailing that first before we spread ourselves too thin on trying to accomplish these other things that we haven't, you know, all of these things are Pandora's boxes basically. And so, um, I think, you know, the, to kind of go back to the community building piece, you know, I think one of the biggest challenges that every co-working space has dealt with for the last two years is like this huge portion of our business and the huge, the why of our business was taken away, you know? And I think that that's been a huge challenge for co-working space operators because space operators are community builders. <laughs> when you talk to them, you know, like that's who they are. That's why they got into the business. And uh, that's been the, I think the biggest challenge over the last two years. And so well, where we've really focused is like, okay, the game changed and we have, you know, this, this window in time to focus on just the mechanics of like getting people in and functionally working in the space, uh, which is kind of the utility part of the business. It's not the sexy part of the business. It's not even, you know, the really fun part of the business, but it is an important part of the business. And if we can nail that 
it will allow us, you know, the thing that I'm, I'm really excited to go dive back into as we've kind of built up these systems and, and things are working pretty good, you know, um, is okay. Well, how do you start doing community engagement and building more at scale? Right. And which I think leads us kind of into the next, the next hypothesis of this thing. Uh, is this possible and how do you do it? And I think, you know, my, my answer to that would be yes. You know, I think, um, we've seen virtual communities pop up everywhere over COVID. We've seen accelerators that, you know, support businesses run virtually over COVID. And so the question is not whether it's possible because we're seeing it take place all over. Um, I think the question is, uh, what am I going to do to shift my strategy to make this possible? And the way that we did it before is not going to work because the world changed around us, you know? And so, um, so I think that that's the next biggest question is, okay, well, under the new context of how we're operating our co-working spaces and how communities building, and even the, the community members that are coming into our co-working spaces have changed, you know, like, when we were first starting, we did three events a month, every month for two years straight that were all focused on entrepreneurs and all of that stuff. You know, all of my members now, when I call them, I'm, I'm like, where are you from? <laughs> what do you do? They're remote workers that are relocating here, not the entrepreneurial community that we had originally, right? And so the services that we provide, the programs that we do, you know, maybe these folks are more interested in going mountain biking with a bunch of new people because yeah. that's what they came here too. for. Remote workers yeah. are humans too, but they don't yeah. have the same why as an entrepreneur. Totally. They want to meet people that, right. Yep. That align with this new lifestyle, which yep. is a problem, you know, that co-working spaces can solve too. So, yeah, totally. Yeah. And, you know, I think, as an entrepreneur, it's not my job to dictate whatever, you know, it's my job to, to observe and see where do I need to move in order to provide value to our customers and who are our customers and what are they looking for, right? And so I think that that's really important. Um, I never want to lose the entrepreneurial bend, like that's what I have a big passion for. Yeah. Um, however, you know, I think... So, so many of the conversations, especially in rural communities, comes back to how do we diversify our economy? How do we do all these things? And it's like the men and women who are moving to these places, bringing these jobs are diversifying the economy in a profound way, you know, that that no strategy has ever <laughs> really had success um, like this, you know. And so we are um, – uniquely situated to engage in all these new people coming to town and get them plugged in. And maybe they work for LinkedIn today, but maybe we get them plugged into a startup tomorrow, you know? And so, um, I don't know. I think that that's co-working spaces are, like I said, like uniquely positioned to, to connect with that new asset that's coming to these communities and engage those folks. So I'd love to d dive a little deeper. I So I, I also love you're doing what is, I think, challenging for people with uh, your personality, which is a lot of folks listening, which is like nail the logistics, right? Like you said, the sort of not sexy part, mm -hmm. <laughs> get people in the space smoothly and then layer on the community piece. So yeah. Um, I'd love to hear how you're automating. Like, what does the workflow look sure. like? Yeah. And you, you, we sort of glossed over this, but you come from Proximity. You were one of yeah. the co-founders. Yep. So I'm sure that Proximity plays a big part in your tech stack. So yep. yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, so share so, a little bit about that. And then we could go into the, okay, what do we, what do you think that, that community layer looks like? Cause I'm sure people are like, what do you mean automate and who handles it? And who does the onboarding? And it so, sounds, yeah. you know, automation sounds scary. Right. And, and, uh, and, and complicated, but you know, 
I always joke, I'm like, we live in the future. You know, there's there's technology today that's available that was not available 10 years ago and and for a relatively inexpensive um, cost, right? And so, you know, it's our job, again, as entrepreneurs to say, what is the technology that's available to me that's going to uh, leverage my capability, right? And so... You know, in order to do all this stuff, we use proximity. Um, you know, one of the things that's been really helpful, we could never do it without them, is, you know, they have door access system, they have automated billing, they have, um, you know, everything is a digital app on your phone. And so, you know, by using their technology, and we can tie all of our spaces together, which create that seamless uh, travel capability. We can tie all of our Wi-Fi networks together. So you sign up once and get instant access to all the locations. And so, you know, um, proximity is our number one tech stack uh, that we use um, to allow us to kind of lever leverage up um, the scale of our, of our business. Um, the other nice thing is because all of our spaces are using the same infrastructure, which is uh, proximity store access system, their billing system, the, the integration that they have with Meraki. Um, that means we can unify the user experience and the onboarding experience because everyone's doing it in the same, same way, thing. right? Yeah. And so really it's, okay, what are the, you know, how do we, you know, maybe we need to layer on some communication on top of that when people are coming in and walk them through how to sign up on the proximity system and how to download the app and how to, where they need to go when they get in the building. Right. Cause the community manager's like not sitting at the desk explaining that yep. six times a day. Yep. Right? <laughs> but again, as going all in on this process um, allows us to refine the exact same experience over and over and over again. And so, you know, it, when, when we first started, like I said, you know, there was people like angry calls, like I can't get in or whatever, but because we had the same user experience, then it was just my job to say, we're going to iterate that. We're going to make it better. We're going to make it better. And now cool. So get an email trigger goes off, walks them through the whole process. No questions. Every, everything works. Right. And so we can continue to, to iterate on that process and make it more and more streamlined. So I'm curious about the lazy human problem because the lazy human problem is why members, you know, walk up to the community manager and say, how do I book a conference room mm -hmm. when there's an app for that? And they could do yeah. it on their own. So do you get people who just like, won't, won't read your emails or won't like follow along your automation? Sure. App? Uh -huh. Yeah. So, can they you know, call someone? Is there like customer yeah. service so, Okay. Yep, they can. So um, I would say 80%, 90% of, you know, the initial questions, like this goes back, you've done consulting with co-working spaces all the time, right? And it's like, you know, if there's problems or challenges, it's the it's my fault because they didn't communicate it right. well. Um, right. And so if we communicate it well, if we onboard people well, we don't have those issues. And that's the nice thing about kind of a templated email is I can continue to refine that and make it better. You know, I, I still have like things that I'm like, cool, we could, you know, substitute this text with a video eventually or make it more high fidelity, you know, and, and, and communicate more <laughs> information in, in one spot. Right. Which, uh, you can't do with tours, you know, because you really get one shot and every tour is a little bit different. And so, you know, refining that process over and over and over again, in some ways is easier uh, in the way that we're doing it. Um, mm -hmm. But yes, you always get people that are not going to read something or they missed it or whatever, you know. And so for those folks, you know, they, they can call us or they can text us and we answer the phone and, and we walk them through that stuff and we can troubleshoot virtually, right. Uh, because of the proximity system and, and some of the other things that we've put in place, you know, um, one of the, the things that we spoke about last time is, 
uh, tours, right? So like, what, what do you do with the tour or whatever? And um, this, uh, we didn't mean to do this during COVID, but, you know, we had places where people could schedule tours online for all of our locations, you know, so book a tour, which location, what date. And um, there was like several times where I was supposed to be in Grand Junction or in Telluride or in Montrose or whatever. And life happened and I couldn't get there, you know, guess what? We've got cameras in the spaces and we just called the people, unlocked the door again, and we could give them an audio tour. And it was like, huh, that worked pretty well. You know, lots of people were like, this is great. You know, we'll sign up. And so was that, you know, can that be refined? Yeah, probably, you know, but I think that there's, there's just different ways of doing things that if we're dogmatic on the way that it's supposed to be done or it has to be done. Um, it, it's, it has the opportunity to prohibit us from new ways yeah. of doing things. Totally. So is the virtual tour a default now or does the ambassador do a tour? If somebody it just kind of depends. Um, okay. You know, we have a, a form that people fill out when they book a tour. And so oftentimes if no one's going to be there or, whatever. I, I'll just call them and say, Hey, I, I'm not going to be in town that day. Um, you know, I can, I can call you on the phone or we can reschedule or I could set up an appointment with our ambassador. What works best for you? Honestly, a lot of times they're like, Oh, I'm, I'm three blocks away from the co-working space. I could just walk over there right now. If you can let me in. Right. Sweet. Just you know, and so right? it was like, yeah, you know, so it's like they scheduled it for a week in advance because that was the process. Yeah. They didn't really care, you know, so it was like, oh, well, right. that just expedited the onboarding and stuff like that, you know. And so, um, you know, I, I think that that's that comes back to like if we if we can reach out to those people and, and say, here's the options, what's best for you, then they can select and, and we can kind of go from there. So you also mentioned um, centralizing sort of the back end support because not everything is automatic, right? There's a human that still has to do some things in terms of onboarding and whatnot. Yeah. Talk about, talk about what that looks like or, and maybe will look like over time. Yeah. So I think, you know, there's a, there's a couple different things. I think uh, when I, when I think about it, there's two roles. Um, One is onboarding, you know, do our members get into the space, get online, understand how to do everything. And I, th- I think that that's been pretty streamlined, you know, whatever location you're at, you can call someone and we can walk you through and get you all set up. Um, so that's great. You know, the next layer of kind of triggered communication, I think is um, I, I want to start doing more testing of like immediate, like, Hey, Jamie, thanks for signing up. I'm the owner. You know, I'd love to book a, a 15 minute video call with you and like learn who you are. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because, you know, again, it's like before I would have walked you to the coffee shop. Now I could send you like a $5 gift card from Starbucks digitally, you know, and get to know who you are and plug you, plug you into the community or whatever, you know? And so it's, it's really interesting, you know, again, um, I, I, I get on more phone calls with people who I had two yesterday, you know, um, new people who had moved to town were interested in co-working. And so I just called them and said, Hey, here's what's going on. Our spaces are automated. Yada, yada. Who are you? I'm an entrepreneur. I just moved into town. Oh, cool. Like we love entrepreneurs. We want to support you guys. My wife runs the accelerator. Right. How can I help you? And they're like, this is amazing. You know? And um, that was always the magic of the, the, the onboarding walkthrough, right? Was not how do you get online, but can I make a genuine connection with you and support you? And I think what I'm learning that doesn't have to be in person. I think that we can do that in this kind of hybrid world that we live, right? Like, do I have to be face to face with you to make a genuine connection, get excited about who you are and what you're doing and, 
and how we can support you? No, I don't think we do. And connect you, know? you to others, right? I mean, and you connect talked you about to all others. The, right. I run masterminds for co-working space owners, and sometimes they meet in person, which has been happening mm-hmm. more often post-COVID. But, you know, oftentimes, right, their relationship is on, and I, I make those connections or somebody on our team or, right, you can do, it's always great to see people in yeah. person. But it's a competency that you can transfer digitally. Yeah. And I think it's that, uh, you know, connection always comes back to empathy and do you and I have never met in person, but we've had very dynamic conversations and, you know, and, and have genuine connection around our interests and stuff like that. And I can send people to you and vice versa or whatever. And we've done that without ever meeting face to face. And guess what? When we meet face to face, we'll be like, (laughs) Hey, how's it going? You know? And so again, I think the biggest thing is like, it seems uncomfortable or weird or, uh, uh, obscure maybe on like, how do you do that? You know? Um, but I, again, I think I would say entrepreneurs main job is to wade through obscurity and, and find the, Mm -hmm. find the rocks and keep moving forward, you know? And so, um, and again, the whole goal of like this crazy test that is seeming to work and we want to add more spaces and, you know, help support more small rural, uh, co-working spaces, um, by implementing a lot of these systems for them is the goal is to build something that's sustainable (laughs) so that we have, you know, something that that works long term that we can have long term impact you know and if we don't build a strong foundation then we're not going to get there and so you know i think you know insanity is doing the same thing and expecting different results and i think you know if we just throw the same playbook at it that we continue to do then then we're not necessarily going to get a different result. And so we've got to take swings, <laughs> you know, you, we've got to take, mm-hmm. uh, apply different strategies. And again, I think I, I said this earlier, but it's like, we live in the future, you know, we have technology like proximity and, and stuff like that. And, you know, I'm like, if Elon can build driving cars, then like, surely we can get someone in a building and online, right? Like, that shouldn't be that complicated. I think the next thing is, you know, then how do we engage with people at scale, right? And how do we plug them into systems that we can help connect them to tools, people, resources, you know, there's a lot of um, programs, accelerators, you know, angel investors that want to help support these people in a lot of rural areas. And, and if, if we are the connector and, and we're building to connect to people at scale and we're implementing systems and databases that we can put them into, then like we can actually be really effective at that. And I think that that's the stuff that make that where the long-term impact and the, the thing that everyone wants to see, um, we, we can move the dial there. So yeah, paint the five-year picture. Do yeah. you, um, are you, con- you know, do you, do you operate spaces that you <sighs> lease or management agreement? Can other people opt into this network? Yeah. yeah. What is so, you know, uh, our model has changed a little bit, I think as everyone's has, you know, and really what we've done is spend the last year kind of streamlining systems, allowing people to get in. Um, benefit from the utility of the co-working spaces, I would say. Um, and so we're having a lot more conversations with a lot of these smaller and rural co-working spaces that are asking the sustainability question or ha- the having the bandwidth conversation of like, I've already got 10 jobs and now I have an extra job, you know? And so that's not necessarily making tons of money, but has big impact on my community. We want to continue to provide this resource. We want to engage with these entrepreneurs. And so we have um, 
like uh, managed service agreements where we can go in and implement all of our same tools. Um, and which is great, you know, we're, we're, we're focused in Colorado um, right now and in rural Colorado, but not limited to that, you know, <laughs> we're, we're doing this for people all over. Um, and so we can implement a lot of those same systems that have been really effective. Um, so in five years, you know, I think what you're really doing is adding kind of nodes on the map um, and and databases of people that you are working with with the co-working spaces and stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I think we'll have lots of uh, spaces that we're kind of helping manage. Um, and, you know, as I had mentioned, you know, my, my wife runs an accelerator that's gone remote. You know, there's all of these different tools, there's, you know, uh, coding schools that have gone remote. Like these are, these are uh, tools that economic developers, especially in rural communities, talk about all the time. And yet they're trying to do it themselves in person. Yeah. And so the right. scale doesn't make the sense. On their own, right? Yep. Yeah. Where if we lay a strong foundation and then we have the team to, to support it and put in the infrastructure we can just start stacking those resources on top. Um, and now you have a database of entrepreneurs that are working in all these communities. You have, you know, mentors from all these different communities that you can plug in and support regardless of where people are from. Right. And it always goes back to my kind of my big why that I always talk about when I graduated um, from university, my favorite professor, his, his, uh, his feedback to me was, you need to leave here. <laughs> and, and, uh, <laughs> you know, um, there's nothing for you here. And, and, uh, he's an economist, you know? And so that's, that's the, the nature of a lot of these communities. Right. And, and we just believe that you can be successful regardless of where you choose to call home. Um, and, you know, so much of success that, you know, the reason that people move to cities is because of density, right? And because of the density of tools and resources and people that they can connect and engage with. And that has historically been a challenge in rural communities, but it doesn't have to be. And so if we can develop infrastructure for connecting people, you know, giving them places to check in, connecting them to, you know, regional or virtual resources and people to support them then you you get you get to have the best of both worlds right and so that's what we're working on um and that's what i i hope that we get to see over the next few years so yeah this is an incredible you know effort and story if folks are interested in what you're up to where's the best place for them to follow along yeah or reach so out? They can uh, check us out. It's altspacecowork.com, A-L-T spacecowork.com. Um, or just email me, Watson at gmail.com. Ooh, putting put the email out. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. We will put both of those in the show notes. Um, cool. And I have your LinkedIn linked up. So I'm super excited. I, I think this is really smart. I love, you know, your point about it's an opportunity to question how things get done and to say, right, we can't keep doing it the same way and watching small spaces not work and close and mm -hmm. get out of, you know, out of the cycle. But to it's just to so provide, important, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so, yeah. So how do we do it in a way that's scalable and sustainable? Um, because the, the end goal is to support the entrepreneurs and the remote workers who are, who are living in those places. Yep. Totally. I love it. Thank you for taking the time to share what you're up to because yeah. it's, it's a work in progress. So we'll have to have you back on to, uh, to get an update, but um, I love it. Thank you for doing the work that you do. I think it's going to have a huge impact. Thanks Jamie. And thank you for everything that you do. Love the podcast. I'm, I'm, uh, I listen to it when I run <laughs> and I uh, always get lots of good tips and tricks and all that stuff. And you've just been such an advocate for the industry and helped so many different people and do such a great job. So thanks.
Well, we're going to add this episode to the list. Looking forward to that. Thanks, Brian. Bye. Hey there. Thanks for sticking with us through the end of the episode. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. And if you are enjoying the podcast, please go leave us a review. It helps other folks find the podcast who are thinking about starting a co-working space or already operating a co-working space and are looking to stay up to speed on tips and trends. And we started a YouTube channel. We'd love to have you catch us on video. You can join us for podcast videos and Q&A videos and other things that we post to the channel. We'd love to see you there.